and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Caesar GM. Ah. <laughs> ah, sorry, I just had a big old gulp of tea and now I just feel like, ah, I love tea. Okay. <laughs> ah, so how are you gentlemen doing? I, I cannot complain right now. Because... Glorious, wonderful, peachy Well, Frank Computer says we shouldn't complain. There's no reason to. Exactly. <laughs> I shoot the complainer. <laughs> no, I, I just... Exp- Under I just... the direction of Friend Computer? <laughs> no, you shoot the complainer. <laughs> if it ricochets into Friend Computer, that is completely coincidental and was not planned at all. <laughs> Only here would we could go into that direction. <laughs> all right. Not join the Patreon and tell us that you want more about Friend Computer and all of these horrible things that can happen. Because if you know, you know. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, by the way, I I did get uh one of the paranoia expansions. I I have nice. I have been looking at it with delight. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of fun right. and 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 reindeer games do we have tonight? Well, if you've been following along, this whole season we have been constructing a campaign setting, uh, particularly the Eden Ship, an arc that is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi setting. And this evening, we are on the penultimate episode. That means next to last, people. I've had to, I had had to explain (laughs) what penultimate means this past week. More times than I care to count. And if you've been following Seize the GM for a long time, you also know periodically there are certain types of episodes we really like to do. And this would happen to be one of them. That's right. It is time for Stat Block Up a Loser! Eden Ship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, just a quick thing before we all get started. Did you guys watch anything or listen to anything or kind of get that might have kind of got you like that just kicked off an inspiration for you for one of these? Honestly, no. Uh, this was one of the first times that I actually wrote everything with no music. There was a pop-up ad that inspired one of them. <laughs> oh, Manger, that's why I love you. You find inspiration in the coolest yet weirdest of spaces. I, I, you will see. You will see. Well, I, I, mine was I, I couldn't fall asleep. I had taken a little too much melatonin, and I was listening to Astrophysics for People, uh, for People in a Hurry, uh, the audiobook. and I, that's how I came across an idea. Nice. So. 
<laughs> just want to let it's like let folks know it's like you will find inspiration for random crap in the weirdest of spaces. That's why we have our closing remarks. Yep. But if you are new, or at least if you have never encountered one of our stat block Palooza's before, each of us has three stat blocks, similar to what we would do at the end of a normal episode. And this time we have each done a person, a place, and a thing that are related to the Eden ship and the Eden ship setting. So we will take turns going round robin through some of what we have produced and see if we have had similar inspirations, similar ideas, or if we inspire each other just at this moment. And of course, if you ever want more of these, find us on social medias. You know how to do that. All of the major ones, several of the minor ones, plus Discord, the website, Patreon, coffee, buying a coffee, all of those things are available for your liking, commenting, sharing, and perusal. And just as an FYI, folks, we do not coordinate when we write these. We are just, oh, stat block palooza, person, place, thing. Cool. And it is disturbing how many times we have ended up kind of accidentally feeding into each other's stuff completely. Un- we don't set that up. It's more of the, where the hell did you come up with that idea kind of a thing. Yeah. So Yeah, and this is kind of a deviation from the typical one that we do because usually we each come up with a topic. And then we have to either fit a person, a place, or a thing inside of someone else's topic. Mm-hmm. But this time with the Eden ship and our current theme of campaign development, we stuck with yeah. that. And so with that, who would like to go Not first? <laughs> Gordon Moshay, why don't you tell us about the people? Because I honestly like how you come up with just... They're even even with the brief def, uh, like descriptions, they're surprisingly deep. If you don't mind, uh, well, no, I'll be glad to tell you about uh, Satoru Klimt. Uh, Klimt keeps a well-maintained little place just around the corner from the main thoroughfare. It's a simple repair shop on the outside, one of the bastions of a techno hacking and experimentation going on in the sector. Uh, there's a back room full of uh, kids and troublemakers. That's always got just completely stocked to the gills shelves of doodads knickknacks and well every little thing that could be needed to solder or code or subvert some a part of the occasionally cobbled back together existing tech for a fun new toy it really isn't a surprise to anyone that Klimt is old friends with felix chin Uh, Satoru, as Felix would call him, was one of the best explorers of the civilian welfare sector before he lost his spark. As Felix likes to tell it, once Satoru had saved Felix's hide three times, it was too close a call for him. I mean, he had a boy back home. He couldn't take the chance the next time it would be him that took the bad step instead, so he retired from running into hazards in EVA-suited walks to run a little shop. A little shop that never seems to be short of funds little shop located right by a main data trunk line with a passel of talented and eager young hackers looking to test their metal. Nice. Damn, dude. I like that. Yeah. Actually, and when I know what's kind of cool, you could actually just almost rip that that NPC and, and put them into like a, a cyberpunk setting. You know, they're, they're on like one of the like the opening of Blade Runner, that big thing of that that food plate, you know. Yeah. Ooh, mm-hmm. That's delightful. I like that. Yeah. 
When I tried to tie a bunch of what I've done today into some of our previous stat blocks and experiments with the Eden ship, so sharp-eared listeners, the first who can comment on what episode this relates back to wins a prize. I got a question, though. Are, 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 are they in a kind of like unspoken Cold War with Crazy Peyton's uh, <laughs> uh, wild-caught bizarre? I mean... Who said it's unspoken? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's nice. oh, it's delightful. It's so delightful. All right, Jules. Tell us about your thing. All right. The chart. We always long to go to the stars. As Blave explorers charting the unknown little by little, we expanded our sphere of knowledge. However, the race to launch Eden led to a scramble to gather as much data and resources as possible in a very limited time. While there was a lot of astral information, it was spread amongst different systems, countries, and private corporations, all with their own storage and security requirements. At the time, saving as much data as possible was the priority. Only after launch was their short-sightedness made manifest. Only the data that was saved for configuration with the Eden ship was readily available. The amount of time and processing power to simply convert the data put a strain on the ship's resources. So, conversion and consolidation has been slow going. Retrofitting old technology and the scarcity thereof has also slowed down the consolidation of data. And dedicating processing power to brute force crack security protocols has been slow going, which is the understatement of the millennia. However, progress has been made. As each bit of data reveals itself, it's added to what is colloquially called the chart. It originally started as a hodgepodge of whatever astral data was available upon launch. But over time, it's been augmented with real-time data and whatever archive data has been decrypted. It's grown more detailed and comprehensive. And despite the name, it's more than just an astral map. It's a dynamic, interactive program with information on every type of stellar phenomenon, location, atomic makeup, gravity strength, electromagnetic spectrum, and much more are conglomerated in the chart. As to the reason for its name, many survivors say the same thing. It's more than a map to the stars. It's a map for humanity's survival and to its future. Nice. Thanks. That's good. I like that. Elegant. Yeah, very elegant. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Gordemanger, you, you did inspire that one with how you talked about how you do your maps and how, and that was just like because it was it's so much more than just these are pictures on a page, and I'm like, yeah, and you talking about how you did your maps that inspired this. Nice. Oh, <laughs> nice playing off of each other. <laughs> so Zen, I want you to tell us about a place. Oh, a place, you say. Indeed. Okay. Planet 28543. Back in the old days of cinema, when it was 2D and not choice-driven, there were a series of movies that had planets that were only in like a single environment. It was so unrealistic, even at the time. We had hardly reached our local moon let alone another planet. But this concept was tossed around as not realistic, even when a close neighbor was actually very much that. The number of other planets that we have seen since that time 
are so high that to say that they're like that is very small. But planet 28543 is such a planet. This planet is what is called a mono-environmental one. The planet does something unlike any other that we've seen. It does not have a constant angle tilt with a dedicated north and south polar regions. This planet is a massive jungle of vegetation that's able to do this in a way that we haven't quite figured out yet. But one thing we do know is that the whole planet has a short and irregular day cycle because it spins ways that are not right in air quotations. It's always moving the direction of north. So every part of the planet seems to be going, going to get an even distribution of sunlight and warmth. The rain patterns make no sense either since it's always raining, but there's almost no ice caps. The oceans are big for the planet though. More study needs to occur to figure out how this all works. Classic. I like yeah. it. I'm a fan of mono environmental. <laughs> yeah, but it, the thing is, like, it opens up a whole bunch of like scientific inquiries as to why. Uh -huh. I, I love that. It's it's always kind of cool. I mean, because you you think about it, like Venus is basically a a mono environmental giant acidic storm. Yeah, it's and I mean, most of the planets in our own solar system are very mono environmental. Mm. So the fact that they've not run across many others is odd. But they're also only primarily looking for habitable planets. So that was why I thought to uh, include one that was habitable and didn't fit that normal stereotype. <laughs> All right, Gardemanger. Let's see. You gave us a person. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go with uh, let's go with your place my place okay now in that case let me tell you about the wild wetlands aka life science bay number 3x7 dash nestled in the life sciences section of the eden ship the wild wetlands is a favorite destination for escaping the drudgery of the a daily life for the muddy and boggy feeling of a vibrant ecosystem it's easy to overlook just what the smell of greenery, even with mud, or especially with mud, can do for people who spend all of their time in the sanitized world of the Eden ship. Even a park looks like something safe and sterile, so when the chance comes along to visit the wild wetlands, a colloquial description for Life Sciences Bay number 3x7-, most people will jump at it. It isn't interesting that Gaia has maintained a swamp or fen-like ecosystem. That's to be expected. It matches other bays, like the Great Expanse. But like the Great Expanse, there is a lack of records or clarity about just how big it is or what it really contains. The interminable starving of resources and exposure to radiation has left parts of the life sciences section without clear readings or records. Too much life. Too much interference. Too much mutation. The wetlands have the eternal mystery of a swamp, but coupled with what can only be described as the cheerful protection of an AI. Gaia needs the organic matter inside LS Bay 3X7 
to be maintained to ensure biocompatibility, after all. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Delightful, sir. Delightful. I like it. <laughs> and I've liked how you've started adding just sound effects as identifiers. <laughs> right. I did. It's written as dash star, but I know. still love it. Yes. So, now that I have a potentially AI-powered swamp eating the inhabitants of the Eden ship, or not, or maybe that's where the wyvern is from, who knows? <laughs> um, Jules, why don't you tell us about your thing? I just did. That was the... No, you did the thing. Ah, the thing. then I need the person. Ah. I'll get the person. All right. To keep the sheep ship running, effective communication is essential. Enter Rosetta. And yes, she is completely aware that her name is a bit too on the nose. Don't at her. Rosetta, from a young age, had a knack for linguistics. But she does prefer the written word to spoken, though, due to an unfortunate accident as a child would left her vocal cords paralyzed. She has been slowly combing through all the documents, digital and analog, aboard the Eden ship and translating them. There is an enormous backlog due to the rush launch, and she works through what she can in her spare time, which is pretty rare. Currently, Rosetta has been spending most of her time compiling various translations and dictionaries of the languages that the crew, uh, of the crew and of the alien races that the crew has encountered thus far. Not just words, but grammar, linguistic quirks, and unspoken rules of etiquette, which has served the crew well during diplomatic negotiations. She's explained that her own limitations in communications allowed her to fully analyze and absorb the art of conveyance in all of its forms. If she had to speak, she had to get her point across in only a very few number of words. If she had to write something, there could be no ambiguity. And her efforts have earned her, earned her admiration from the crew, as well as respect from other races. Maybe not full trust, as humanity is indeed strange, but she has been asked to translate and transcribe various star charts and scientific documents provided by various other interstellar races. And to her absolute delight, all of her efforts are their own proof, so she really doesn't have to explain herself when delivering the final translation. Rosetta is indeed a valuable asset to the crew, but due to her limited ability to speak, it has been difficult for her to effectively pass on her knowledge and techniques of language. And as each year passes, it becomes more and more obvious how much her skills are needed. Computers, while they are competent in basic language analysis and translation, they are wholly unable to grasp the nuances of language and communication that Rosetta instinctively intuits. Cool. Nice. I like the way that plugs into some of the themes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad I you like it. Yay! So, <laughs> Zem, uh, tell us about your person. Ah, uh, my person. <clears throat> General Kamada Sani. General Sani is a middle aged woman whose predecessors came from the Indian subcontinent. She's always dressed in a very proper military uniform while she is in 
charge of the overall functioning of the ship. She is not condescending to those that are not close in rank to her, which are most. She was raised on the ship, as was her father. He never got as high in the ranks as she has, though. Kamada knows that the ship is not in a good state. Things have gone down since the last generation. The spirals are just getting worse. Kamada has started to make small changes to find a place for the people on the ship to call home. It's not easy since the issues surrounding the crew and families are getting worse by the month. The last three planets that were looked at while hopeful ended up not being something that could be used. A very big issue is that all projections cannot give an accurate count of the people on the ship. She wants to find a place that can be used to retrofit and resupply so that they can get on to the planet that was the original destination. Though she isn't sure that that's as a reasonable idea as the more time goes on. In the end, the crew is more important than the ship, no matter what the old timers say. Hmm. Very nice. Very nice. I like yeah. her. Yeah. I I haven't really stepped into the command section at all. So I thought it was uh time we had a face to the Eden ship. Oh we've got yeah, it's like we've we've got some support for her. Yeah. Definitely. So that's but I like the idea that she's keeping that that stiff upper lip for most people while still trying to <laughs> subvert <laughs> complete yeah it's like how do i subvert things while i'm in charge without letting people know what i'm doing so i don't cause a panic yeah. how do i avoid a bank run basically yes very much that and that is kind of where i was going with her was like she knows that this thing is a sinking ship and she doesn't really want to be the last one on the sinking ship. If she could dock the ship, then she doesn't have to worry about being the last one on it. So, yeah. Ooh, nice. spooky things. All right. Oh, well done. So, Cardamanger, you've only got one thing left. And it's a thing. It's a thing. What's your thing? It's Binky, Binky Doodle Prime. It is a luxury in the world of the Eden ship, but children love their toys to this day. Binky Doodles are a popular collection of doll-like drones. Well, collection may be a bit generous, as these are creations that are pieced together by individual artisans uh, from whatever scraps they can scrounge. Uh, the Binky Doodles respond to simple voice commands. They're clothed in approximations of what everyone on the Eden ship wears and cross all class lines in their acceptance. From the most ragamuffin of Moppet to a scion of the greatest family of the command section, every child once has and plays with a Binky Doodle. Binky Doodle Prime, though. Binky Doodle Prime is a Binky doll that doesn't seem to have an owner. It keeps turning up in the background of events, especially if you have PCs in the last several months. It's dressed in a combination of command and military garb, and it moves without the herky-jerky tendencies of most binkies 
as if it is a well-oiled and well-maintained toy. It seems to have a life of its own as it watches from the shelf, incongruous with the other items, but also almost invisible in its ubiquity as a binky. I mean, surely, someone will adopt this precious toy. This precious toy drone. This toy drone that keeps showing up. Cool. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I like it. That's fun. That was the one inspired by a pop-up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Uh, but so good. All right. Continuing on. And continuing closer, closer to our final sets of the Stat Blockapalooza. Jules, <laughs> tell us about your place. The Dragon's Eye Nebula. <clears throat> Some of the most gorgeous nebulae in the world were formed after the most destructive stellar event, a supernova. The Horsehead Nebula, the Cat's Eye Nebula, and the Crab Nebula have been described as some of the most beautiful and awe-inspiring. But a recent discovery of a new nebula has a ship's crew enraptured, the Dragon's Eye Nebula. A year before the ship launched, Earth's telescope picked up a seemingly standard Type II supernova. Always interesting, but at first blush, nothing unique. But many years later, when Eden was in the neighborhood, as it were, its true splendor was discovered. The Dragon's Eye Nebula is truly a stellar marvel, both aesthetically and scientifically. One crewmate stated, it's like the holographic projection of a dragon's eye. Now, normally when we observe a nebula, we see a flattened, a flattened image against the interstellar medium. If you looked at it in 3D space, the illusion fades, the horse's head disappears, and the crab vanishes. However, this nebula is different. While initial images were indeed stunning, seeing it in person was breathtaking. The nebula had the appearance of a dragon's eye in three dimensions. Turns out there were two undetected neutron stars in polar orbit around the supergiant prior to the explosion. And when the star went supernova, the gravitational influence of the neutron star stretched the explosion into an ellipsoid. At least that's the current theory. What's keeping the nebula in its static shape is still a mystery. And whatever it is, it's not making its presence known. The Eden ship has returned many times to the Dragon's Eye Nebula to take measurements, study the weird gravitational electromagnetic forces at play, and to let the crew take in the majestic view. There's much to be learned here, and sometimes the lesson is simple, that even in the unforgiving blackness of space, there is awe and beauty. Wonderful. That is good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> That is really cool. Yoo-hoo. So Zen, take us home. Okay, I guess so. <laughs> this is funny, given Rosetta. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> the polyglot knot. Language is a bear that's divided mankind almost as much as the color of their skin or the gender that they are. So early on in the prospect of traveling between the stars, the idea of a standard language was one that came up actually quite a lot. No government involved, though, 
could get enough clout to have their language be the language of the ship. So what do you do as a member of the Council of Stars? You bring in scientists and a few disciplines and ask what can be done. After many, many months of debate and discussion and debate, the idea of an implant in the body is proposed. One that's connected between the ear and the part of the brain that interprets language. Some bit of technology that is AI and cybernetic. Not a big AI, just enough to make you understand all recorded languages. While the idea is still a bit away, it was still a bit away at the time, they had time to work on it and finally make it. The ship was still in the early stages of being built, so they failed a few times to get the attempted tech to work, and it finally did. It's also capable of learning things like expressions and colloquialisms. This might even be able to learn alien languages given enough time. So the polyglot knot was created. All children were that were born were implanted with it after they had time to come to understand the language. Now everyone can communicate. In theory. <laughs> I'm impressed, dude. So much potential. So many things you can do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I've thought of quite a few already. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. So that was our stat block of Palooza, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed it and found additional inspiration. You can hear where else our brains went while working through the Eden ship setting and what sort of stories we think naturally flow from it. Now, we've got one episode left on this season talking about the Eden ship and about really more of the process itself than the ship. So yeah. if you've got any questions that we haven't answered, drop us a line. Let us know, and we'll see if we can answer them. Or maybe even, if we have enough questions, make a follow-up episode next season just answering them. Oh, that would be good. Ooh. That would be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. All right. So, Jules, what's your uh, closing remarks? <laughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. Ahem, ahem. Uh, I, I'm choosing a, a, a podcast. It's called Boneyards and Boojums. It's a uh, 1879, uh, you know, steampunk-ish, magic-ish uh, actual play podcast that uses the Earth on rules, and it's uh, it, it's uh, by the same folks that are do the uh, the uh, Name Givers podcast, and it's it is it's it's a delight. It really, really is, especially if you like that kind of almost Victorian style, you know, horror, magic, creepy, without it being just like eldritch in nature. It's nice. wonderful. It really is. 
Yeah, I was going to say, that's the new Sixth World setting for Fossa in the uh, Earth Dawn 4th Ed kind of setup in 1879 is a well-produced, well-supported system that I will say many good things about for various and sundry yeah. reasons. Yeah, I remember when that one Not first came out. We have a card catalog on it when it first came yeah. out, and um, yes, that's all I can yeah. say. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh huh. So indeed. So so Zen, what's yours, dude? Okay. Sit down and read a book. We have done a ton of library episodes, which is another one of those that we do about one of these a year. And we have given you guys tons and tons of options uh, just from our shows. And, you know, sitting down and reading a book is different than listening to a book. And I do both. So I, I do have a, a bit of experience on that one because uh, I do both. But yeah, we have done whole entire episodes on just like a bunch of different books, like episodes 8, 25, 53, 98, 144, and 157. So if none of those books that are listed in any of those pique your interest, Go to the library and ask somebody that's, that works there for a recommendation on a topic that you like. Because you're going to love librarians. Heck yeah. Support your local library. Yep. Okay, Gardemanger, what do you got? <laughs> uh, on Netflix, there's a show called Transatlantic. It's a stylish and well-made period piece about escaping Nazi-occupied France. It just recently dropped from when we were recording this. It is a lot of moody and evocative cinematography with a well-adapted story. It is not entirely in English, so you have to actually pay attention to the subtitles or to that shift of language, if you know more than one. And I highly recommend this as a kind of show we haven't seen as much of in a while that has strong stylistic influence that is a period piece with a, a point of view and without what I think of as you know singular big name draws uh, it's it's the kind of show that I think Netflix could really uh, succeed with if it doubled down on them nice cool I'll have to check Very that. Very cool. I'm, I'm curiosity peaked, dude. Yeah. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. That is going to wrap up this episode. One last Eden Chip episode this season, and then we'll take a little bit of a break. We'll talk about that next time. But know that we have valued each and every one of you and every time you have downloaded and listened to the show. And if you haven't gone back and done that a second time for the most recent episodes, you should do that now. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Or a third time. Or a fifth or sixth. Just listen to them all We're on the We're not going to be picky. Yeah. <laughs> we won't be picky. We won't. Just... Enjoy yourself and let us know what you think. 
All right. So until next time, folks, have fun. Roll some dice. Some games. And we will see you all next time. Bye. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handle this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.